The Federal Reserve is looking to raise rates soon. The markets are pricing in at least five rate hikes or the potential for five rate hikes. What does this all mean for the markets? Hello, welcome to the Kitco News Commodity Podcast. I'm Niels Christensen, editor of Kitco News. My co-host is Philip Striebel, Chief Market Strategist at Blue Line Futures. Hello, Phil. Hello. <laughs> so we're still new. We're still searching for a name. But as Shakespeare says, what's in a name? For now, let's talk about what's happening in markets. Joining us today is Natish Shaw, head of uh, research at Wisdom Tree, um, which is, has assets under management of $76, $77 billion. Um, Natish, it's really great to speak with you again. Welcome to my uh, new show. You're most welcome. Thanks for having me you on your show. Um, so uh, last time we talked was in August. And you said that gold was 12% undervalued. It should have been over $2,000. Since then, the markets have only gotten more hawkish. Inflation has only gotten hotter. Um, where are we, do you think? Yeah, so gold still represents that underpricing. Um, unfortunately, it's not recognizing the inflation reality. I mean, gold has had other headwinds as well. They got, had an appreciating uh, US dollar, which has, tends to be bad for uh, for gold. Also, uh, US uh, Treasury yields are rising, once again, bad for the dollar, and they're probably going to rise even further during the course of this year. Um, so, you know, gold's facing headwinds on certain corners, but the inflation number is screaming red hot, you know, over 7% in, in the US over 5% here, here in Europe. Um, they are numbers that uh, should be sending gold much, much higher than where they are today. So my models, um, which you know, incorporate you know, the dollar, uh, speculative positioning, um, <clears throat> uh, treasury yields, um, as well as inflation, uh, are pointing to gold should be around you know, 2030 right now. Um, yet yeah, here we are at uh, 1780 something. So it, it's a far way from where it should be. And it's that inflation thing that seems to be missing this time. But it may be partly due to the fact that inflation in this cycle is looking different to inflations we've seen in previous economic cycles. What do you mean by that? How does it look different? Yeah, so what we have observed um, during the course of 2020 and 2021 is we've seen a lot of price shocks uh, occur, not because demand itself has uh, gone through the roof. Um, we've seen supply shocks, uh, successive supply shocks. And, you know, they've been some, you know, somebody slightly more random, right? So if you get a, um, uh, you know, an attack on a on a gas pipeline that sends fuel prices up. When you see droughts occurring, that sends food prices up. Um, they're not really linked to economic activity. Or there's nothing systematic about it. But there is something systematic about um, the COVID environment that we live in today, in that it, it gums up a lot of the supply chains. So getting goods moving from one part of the world to another is very difficult in this new environment that we've been living in. And that's adding a systematic increase in, in, in certain prices. So, you know, we're all too familiar with the uh, semiconductor issues, right? They're sending lots of electronic good prices higher, 
car prices uh, have gone uh, notably higher, but both in the new market and the used market, because once the you know new car market suppliers shrink shrunk up, uh, you know the used car market shrunk, and you see. 50, 60% uh, price inflation in those kinds of markets is very unusual. Um, and those things won't really go away until we get the supply chains operating in. That once again is dependent on uh, these COVID restrictions um, on, you know, easing. And that's very difficult when you've got lots of countries around the world operating on zero COVID policies. So some of the inflation may be here to stay, but it's not the kind of inflation that we're used to. You know, this pandemic world is quite unique to, you know, I know we've had pandemics in the past, but not when we've had uh, such a globalized uh, economy with complex supply chains um, and this, the levels of access to information as we have today as well. So um, I think that's complicating things. And that puts into question uh, how easy is it for our traditional tools like monetary policy to address the inflation issues? Now, gold may be, you know, gold's linkage to inflation may be slightly more through the monetary route, right? So the, you know, people may, the, the gold's increase when inflation rises may be a function of the fact that people think the money supply is increasing when uh, you know that that, that that drives gold up. Now you know that that link may be somewhat broken, although we have seen record money supply growth in the, in the past year as well. Um, I, so I I understand what you're saying, but I'm just I'm sort of wondering, you know, like a price spiral by any, you know, like wh whatever causes it is still a a, a, a a price spiral, you know, like um, Friday, I, I don't know about you, Phil, but I'm really looking forward to um, Friday's non-farm payrolls. I, I really want to see what the wages are. Um, and I just, I think, you know, like it doesn't really matter what's driving inflation. We're starting to see that, that 70s, um, you know, prices and chase, uh, you know, wages chasing higher prices and then higher prices going, you know, wages post posting, like, it's just it, the spiral now. I, I, I'm just sort of wondering, is this the start of it? Um, you know, Phil, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, the interesting thing, there are a couple of things. One, Natesh brought up a great point that, you know, inflation has been struck by some of these key developments here, whether it is oil pipeline attacks, you got a freeze, you look at the, the best performing commodities, two of them last year, oats and coffee, one was hit by a drought in the Northwest, coffee was hit by, you know, a freeze down in Brazil, but the, and then the other interesting thing is how they politicize inflation. Everyone is mentioning inflation, every news reporter out there, and the pressure goes right on Joe Biden. And then it goes right, to, and then he points right to the Fed, and the Fed wants to take some kind of action. But what I really think is interesting is that number on Friday. I saw those expectations and I was completely shocked. 150,000 jobs is what they're expecting, and the possibility of the range is even a negative number, them losing 75,000 jobs. You know, I just don't see how the Fed could carry on and raise five, six, you know, seven times. And I think that's what gets that gold back moving towards Natasha's $2,000 number. Well, let's, let's jump in. I mean, what do you think of the Fed? I mean, uh, you know, the Fed came out on Wednesday and said uh, they, they, they want to raise rates uh, really soon. A lot of people are saying uh, March liftoff. Um, Jerome Powell, uh, Fed head, came out after uh, in his press conference and said uh, markets could withstand 
uh, interest rate hikes. The labor market is is strong enough to hold up to to interest rate hikes. Um, what do you think, Nitesh? Do we get five rate hikes this year? I mean, it just that seems impossible. Not not only not only five rate hikes, but they also laid the groundwork for quantitative tightening to to reduce their balance sheet. And I just it seems all very hawkish. Yeah, I mean there was a hawkish tilt to the uh, you know to the to the Fed's announcements, uh, but you know let's let's put it in context. You know, while Fed fund futures may be saying five rate hikes, there are many economists out there calling for seven, eight rate, rate hikes, um, yes. and that's because in the inflation numbers at the headline are red hot, right? If you you know if, if you were to abstract yourself from some of the detail behind the inflation data, it looks like, oh my God, you know, the Fed has lost control. Um, and I think that's one of the Fed's worries is, are they seen to be uh, a, a central bank that's lost control? You know, are we going back to the, you know, pre-Volca days, right? Are we, are we going back to that kind of world where people say, hold on, um, I can go into the shops expecting a 10% increase in, in, the, in the prices of uh, goods you know, every week because that's the running rate of inflation. I should just expect it. And it becomes a self-fulfilling uh, you know, prophecy of prices spiraling out of control. Um, I think they are keen to uh, you know, get, get a hold on that and make sure those expectations don't um, uh, run ahead of themselves. So I think that's possibly one of the reasons why they're tough, talking a tough talk. Um, and I think that as you start to get closer to uh, some, you know, as you start to get through a few of these rate hikes and you start to see visible cooling uh, of, the, of the economy, um, I think they could possibly take the, the, the foot off the, well, ease the foot off the brake mm -hmm. a little bit at that point in time. Um, so I, I think that they're, they're almost conditioning the markets to expect a bit more and sort of maybe possibly provide that relief uh, there afterwards, uh, which once again would be quite good for uh, pressured metals, which are taking you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, the um, pressure off this uh, uh, slightly more hawkish uh, discussions at, at this point in time. But you know, Fed have been keen to say anything's on the table. You know, we could, they could, they, they've said, well, we could raise rates in every meeting in succession. Now that hasn't happened in decades, right? I mean, you have to go all the way back to the Greenspan era to see that, see when that's happened. Um, other Fed um, members are talking about, well, in the twenty-five bip uh, increases, well, you don't have to. There's nothing holding them to a 25 bit increase, you could do smaller increases. So they're saying, well, you know, it, the menu of options are huge out there. Uh, and they want to keep you, you know, keep the market almost guessing. Um, so it, it's quite a strange environment given how Fed was, the Fed was so eager to be um, telegraphing its moves each uh, time in, in the past few years. Whereas now they're saying, well, you know, we're going to be extremely data dependent. We're not going to be as forward looking as we have been in the past. It's each month we'll take the data points as they come. And I think that gives them, a, that opens the door for them to maybe backtrack a little bit as well. Phil. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, confirming what you're talking about, Minneapolis Fed President 
um, Kashkari, he, he came out on Friday and it really his interview, he was saying that there might be a pause in rate hikes in the spring and that the Fed could likely be just one and done. So I really find it interesting that it's like there's with all these different Fed officials, they all have completely different opinions in these range of numbers are about as wide as what this non-farm payroll number is supposed to be expected. You know, who knows by the end of it, they could be doing what they did in 2018, raise rates all the way through and then up over tightening and have to cut rates at the end. Yeah. So I guess, I guess that's it. Like, how do you, how do you position and, and maybe Phil, you know, from the, from the trader point of view and, and Natasha, I'd love to get your thoughts too, but you know, so we do, we have these wide ranges from, uh, Potential, you know, the Fed itself has said three rate hikes. I guess we'll see in in March in the new dot plots. We we have to wait till then. Um, but in December they said three rate hikes. We now have some banks saying eight rate hikes. Um, you know, you just have this. Apparently, we could get you know 10, 10, 10 basis point moves now. This is <laughs> this is everything's everything's on the table. How do you position yourself? I mean, how do you? Gold, I think, doesn't like the uncertainty, um, you know. So, but with with all of these wide ranges, you know, how do you, how do we, how does an investor protect themselves? I put this to Phil first. Well, I mean, the the thing that I would want to look at when you start raising height, you know, rates um, excessively is how does it impact growth. Even if you get that higher inflation, if you do impact the growth and growth comes down, that creates that stagflation. That's actually the best back-tested environment for the gold market. When you get rising inflation and rising growth, it becomes the reflation trade, and that's where you continue to see U.S. equities marching higher. So if U.S. equities recover from where we're at right now on the rising growth, on the rising inflation expectations, at some point we're going to get another cycle peak on equities. I think that's where you're going to want to be bearish on equities again, be really bold up on, on the gold case, and then start looking at you know what the most popular trade is in 2022, being long tactical, specific, um, essential commodities while being short U.S. equities. I think that comes back into play. Nitesh, what are your thoughts? How do you, how do you, how does an investor position themselves in this market? Yeah, it's um, it's a tricky one, but I think gold um, maintains its strategic role. Uh, let's let's take tactical off the off the off the table because you know gold hasn't quite done what it should have done for inflation. So will it continue? I don't know. Um, but from a, from a strategic standpoint, um, having gold as part of a portfolio because it um, does well in, as, as a defensive asset and it does well in good times uh, when there is, uh, you know, usually an associated monetary uptick, um, it, it, you know, th that thing doesn't really go away. So having gold as part of a strategic part of a portfolio to, um, you know, to to reduce the risk of any portfolio, I think still stands. Um, but I agree very much with Phil, you know, if we are entering a period of huge policy uncertainty uh, with that uh, risk of stagflation uh, there, then gold should be uh, the, the right asset. It's, it's, you know, gold does well in the world of chaos, right? And that is a world of chaos. If you've got slowing growth 
and uh, stubbornly high prices, um, that should be a, a good environment for gold. But beyond that, I think uh, broad commodities um, are also uh, likely to do well this year because uh, inflation is likely to remain stubbornly high. You know, even though the Fed is raising rates, and you know we've discussed the potential for them to do even more than uh, you know what um, Fed fund futures are ex expecting. Whatever they do, it doesn't really tackle the root cause of that inflation, which is uh, successive supply shocks. But a broad commodity basket um, tends to rise with all those supply shocks. Whether we're talking about drought conditions, extreme cold conditions, uh, energy pipeline issues or OPEC just losing the plot and keeping things too tight for too long. Um, all of those sort of things feed directly into a commodity basket, which feeds into uh, the CPI basket. So um, I think a broad commodity allocation is very useful, especially in a world in which we're living right now with this energy transition uh, taking place, uh, which is likely to um, have a quite a meaningful impact on, on base metals in, in particular, because they are in such short supply, uh, given where the demand is likely to go in, in the next decade or so. So keeping things broad is great, with, uh, but when you keep things broad, that does mean a precious metal um, you know, presence within that basket. Phil? Yeah, if you look at, you know, wrapping up January here, the some of the worst you know, performers out there for asset classes, NASDAQ down 10%, Russell down 11%, um, you know, and gold basically unchanged, you know. So I think that, you know, it does add having gold as some por portion of your portfolio. You know, I'd rather help be holding gold uh, coming into this Russia-Ukraine uncertainty rather than holding, you know, excessive overweight on U.S. equities. Now, I do like what you were mentioning about, um, supply chain issues, because we think once supply chain issues are resolved, you know, the bulk of all silver that's mined is shipped to China, created for, you know, electronic products that are redistributed throughout the world. And then also platinum, you know, in that in catalytic converters and palladium, I think that platinum is one of the most undervalued commodities. You know, every time it gets below a thousand, we start to stick our toe in the water on that. And if we get this supply chain and this uh, the semiconductors, this problem's resolved, we think that platinum could be something, you know, $1,200, $1,300. Um, actually, th th that's what I wanted to ask you too, Nitesh. Uh, what is your favorite commodity for, for 2022? I, I was reading uh, your latest report from uh, December, January. Um, you noted that actually uh, uh, co the commodity sector, aside from gold, the commodity sector saw its best returns in 20 years. Um, you guys, you're still bullish on commodities, not so much, not, you know, uh, a 20 plus, you know, re percent return uh, of the sector. But um, what do you like? If, if you had to to weigh um, precious metal or uh, uh, commodities, what, you know, what would be your first, what would be your top pick down to um, your top three? Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to narrow it down because there's, so, <laughs> there's so many choices. But, um, you know, in general terms, I would say the base metal space is likely to do well because um, 
one, the energy transition that, that, that I mentioned earlier on, but two, as in a recovery, um, you know, these, these are likely to do well, especially as that recovery is being augmented by uh, a, 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 a larger spend on physical infrastructure than we've seen in the past. You know, we've seen in the US, uh, you know, uh, $1.2 trillion uh, spend approved for, uh, for infrastructure that's the US, but you've got similar programs going on here in Europe. And even if US, even if China doesn't uh, pick up pace as much as it has had done in the past, um, it is it has raised record amounts in special purpose um, bonds, which typically are spent on infrastructure in back in uh, the tail end of 2020. So that, that money needs to be spent somewhere. So infrastructure is going to do really well, uh, and that will fuel the, the industrial metal space. Within the industrial metal space, copper is likely to do well as you need a lot more distribution cables for uh, electricity as you electrify uh, networks. Uh, but nickel is also going to do extremely well uh, given its role as a cathode active material in, in, in batteries. And as you get increasingly larger uh, numbers of cars moving to uh, the, the electric um, uh, powertrain, um, that is going to be uh, one of the key winners. But in the precious metal space, I think um, both platinum and palladium are likely to bounce. Um, the semiconductor issues that have been holding back automobile production uh, last year are likely to ease this year. Uh, we are seeing a lot more semiconductors coming coming to the market, probably in the second half of this year. Um, and that will mean palladium in particular will do really well because um, you know, gasoline engines are, you know, are, are mainly in favor. Uh, there's more likely to be a deficit in uh, palladium, uh, you know, given its uh, supply concentrations, um, and you know, palladium could get caught up in the uh, in the problems in in Russia. You know, forty percent of uh, palladium comes from Russia, uh, and that that just could be caught up either in terms of you know sanctions imposed on on Russia, uh, or Russia itself may hold back. Uh, some of its supplies of palladium, almost you know, sort of weaponizing, use, using a price spike to um, to its to its advantage. You know, I, I think Russia is less likely to use oil or natural gas. Um, you know, holding back supplies of those because it relies on revenues from that uh, those two sectors a lot more. Uh, but it could it could easily sacrifice uh, palladium and. Uh, Cause price spikes in, in, in that metal uh, to hold back, you know, global uh, vehicle production. So, you know, if I'm looking at the, the space, I would say, you know, copper, nickel, and uh, palladium are particularly interesting. Yeah, well, and we saw actually palladium last week when uh, everybody else was was taking a dive in the precious metals sector. Uh, palladium uh, managed to uh, to push to uh, what a two month high above uh, two thousand an ounce, just just based on the the threat that Russia could. Could withhold spy, and you know what? What would that mean for the auto industry, Phil? Well, I was going to say it was up twenty five percent in the month of January, which is spectacular. The only thing that was even close to that was natural gas. We had a lot of um, clients calling in, at, inquiring about natural gas because Russia has, you know, the ability to weaponize. You know, they've not, like Natash said, not necessarily in the energy sector, but hold back some of these supplies. So it really was like wheat, uh, palladium, natural gas. Those were the ones that everyone was hot on. 
What about you, Natesh? What, what, what were you guys seeing with, you know, your guys' clientele and your people who, who follow you? What were they inquiring about? Yeah, it's, it's very much along the similar lines. Uh, wheat, just because Russia's had a history of holding back wheat exports in the past, right? It's, it's, it's almost a tested uh, phenomenon. Um, but palladium, um, he hasn't, you know, hasn't done, you know, hold back uh, exports of palladium in a, in a long time. But uh, that that could be in game. Um, I think the markets are generally, being, you know, pricing in uh, the geopolitical issues in oil and uh, and natural gas. But one of the strange uh, aspects of, um, you know, the exchange traded product market, especially here in Europe, is that. Um, uh, clients tend to be quite price sensitive. So as you start to see these very sharp runs in, in oil and natural gas prices, we tend to see investors uh, sell into those rallies and then uh, buy when you see uh, price dips. So, you know, we've seen a bit more uh, sort of outflow from oil and, oil and natural gas in, the, in this uh, elevated price environment. I think uh, there are lots of investors sitting there on the sidelines waiting for a, a price decline to come back into the market. Where do you think oil goes? Um, I, I watch oil. I mean, that has the biggest uh, uh, impact on inflation. Uh, you know, the Fed doesn't actually watch that. They watch uh, core PCE. That's their favorite, um, which excludes energy and food prices. So if you don't drive and don't eat, um, you know, it's pretty good. Um, but what do you think? I mean, do you think we hit $100 a barrel? And what does that do for economic activity? Yeah, so I think if uh, the security situation in in Russia uh, and Ukraine gets worse, um, I think there is a realistic chance that we could prices could go higher. We could breach the hundred uh, dollar uh, mark uh, per barrel, which is a psychologically important level. Uh, but you know, we we could get past it, but. That may be just a temporary thing, um, you know. So long as the you know conflict there isn't a bit, you know, uh, if we do end up in a conflict there, you know, that that is something that's quickly resolved. Um, if if it's something that materially impacts the flow of oil or natural gas, then I think you know obviously we could could be there on a more sustained basis. But in the absence of all that, um, I think the oil markets could be quite well balanced this year. Um, <laughs> OPEC is increasing its supply by 400,000 barrels per day uh, in each month. And in doing so, we'll have um, unwound all its supply constraint that it put in place at the height of the uh, COVID pandemic. So OPEC is increasing supply, but non-OPEC countries are also increasing their supply. Uh, CAPEX is um, you know, it's not quite as, as high as it used to be in the heydays, but it has improved and it's increasing the oil supply. Um, so we could end up in a surplus uh, this year. That doesn't really paint the best environment for, you know, oil prices to continue to rise, especially if this geopolitical premium comes off the market. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, last year, you know, we saw oil prices, Brent rose, what, 65%? Yeah. Expecting another year of that would be very, very difficult. Um, you know, if, if, if oil can sort of uh, maintain where it is right now at $90 barrel, then, you know, that'd be, that'd be great. But I think it could soften from, from, this, from, from this point in the absence of the geopolitical yeah, issues uh, not escalating. 
I uh, I know some guys who actually uh, managed to uh, to buy oil when it hit the the negatives in 2020, um, and they they were they were still long today. So like they they were just absolutely dancing. I think they paid off their mortgage um, last year with uh, with the rally and uh, <laughs> with the rally in oil prices. Um, Nitesh, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I've just I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I want to uh, go to our, our final segment, which is headlines that you're watching. Um, I have two for this week, but Nitesh, you're a guest, so uh, please go first. What what headline uh, was got hit your attention uh, uh, last week, and and what are you paying attention to next week? Yeah, so uh, actually, it's it's quite linked to uh, part of the discussion that we had, and it was a it's an opinion piece on the in the FT and. Uh, it's titled Headline Inflation May Not Tell the Full Story. Uh, and what they're looking at here is um, how the, bas- the CPI basket that most statistical organizations look at, you know, are an average basket and designed, you know, to talk to the average, you know, the, the average of a, of a population. But, you know, when you look at you know, who's affected by inflation the most, it's very often uh, low income. Uh, individuals and their baskets may actually be very different to high-income individuals, um, and therefore, when you're trying to look at sort of policy solutions for inflation, um, you know it, 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 it presents some complications, right? Um, uh, so the article sort of looks at how improving the statistical information that they that they, 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 the statistic organizations get hold of, like if you can get access you know, things like credit card receipts or other uh, tax receipts uh, to improve the uh, quality of the information, you could get some sort of better uh, policy tools out of it. Um, so I thought that's a, quite an interesting article. That's, I've, I've heard that, like, that's another um, uh, uh, criticism I've heard of CPI is, you know, the fact that, that uh, especially the Fed, they like substitutions, you know, like they, they make assumptions if chicken's too high, you're going to buy pork, you know, or, and, and, and stuff like that. So it's just, it, it, it feels not that they're fudging the numbers, but they're, they're making assumptions that probably don't really, you know, aren't, aren't real world issues nowadays. I, I think I just, yeah, it's, you know, uh, shadow. I mean, this is why a lot of people still follow shadow stats, which, um, measures inflation uh, uh, from based on the 1980s, and uh, according to their stats, we're already at 15% inflation. That, this is fantastic, Tesh. Thank you very much, Phil. What was your headline? Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about that too. That you know, the price of like something like a filet mignon probably is going to, in the demand, will probably stay somewhat constant because you have that person constantly eating it. Where the price of something like ground beef you know, much more volatile, I'm sure, and percentage wise on the price increase, you know, year over year in high inflation environments, it's probably pretty dramatic. So that's a that's a great point. I never thought about, you know, the baskets from, you know, different people's perspectives and, 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 and different cultures and things like that. So, but uh, as far as, you know, again, the, the, on the headline, that payroll number, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm still shocked that it's a, a neg- negative number is possible with all this hawkishness around the Fed. You would think that they would come back and say, if no one's getting jobs or they're actually losing jobs in this environment, that the economy is not as stable as what they think. So, 
you know, I really going to be interested to see how gold reacts to it. And if we can get a move back up to those 1850s by the end of the week on that kind of number. Well, what do you, do you think we get like, you know, obviously uh, gold held support, really nice support uh, just below uh, just around 1780. Um, you know, is 1850 off the table? The volatility adjusted ranges show that it can go up to about 1870. So you're getting more, more because you had that fall from 1855 down to 1785. You know, the support is holding the underlying trend is there the last few month trends. So that upside, its ability to overshoot the 1850 uh, really comes into play. So, you know, this is we're going to be watching this one pretty closely. this week. And Nitesh, you think gold should be above two thousand dollars. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's where my models are pointing to. And so, you know, for, I mean, the longer gold doesn't behave, you know, I have to start taking off some of the historic <laughs> inflation, you know, misalignment, um, you know, and hopefully its behavior starts, at least from a, from a, from a change perspective, goes back to where it used to be. But, um, you know, I, I think that gold should be structurally higher, uh, you know, given the environment that we live in. Um, and hopefully, you know, we don't get like the eight rate hikes that that completely take it <laughs> off the off the table. Because, you know, at some point, it's going to prove itself uh, correct. <laughs> so my headline this week um, on Saturday, and this is uh, again related to our conversation, and and I think the broad um, commodity sector as well. Uh, President Joe Biden uh, said that he will be sending troops to uh, Eastern Europe. Um, so we just we see this continued escalation of this, you know, uh, over Ukraine between uh, U.S. and Russia and, and now NATO and Russia. Um, this is something that I, I continue to watch because, yeah, I think I'm not a big fan of watching gold as a, a geopolitical hedge. I think, you know, that it's proven itself over and over again that, yes, um, geopolitical uncertainty uh boost gold prices, but it doesn't last, you know, like that, 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 that geopolitical bit, as soon as, as soon as that cools down, um, gold actually ends up worse than, than where it was before the, the, the flare up. So, um, but you know, so how, how long does this, be, how long is this going to be and, and how bad does it get? Um, I think this, this is going to be interesting. My second headline, actually, um, January 25th, the, uh, uh James Webb telescope, actually moved into its orbit uh, with Earth, and uh, it'll soon start recording data. Apparently, it's going to be going, it's, uh, the, 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 the telescope is powerful enough, it can see 13.5 uh, uh, million light years away, something like that. I don't know, I just, space stuff fascinates me, uh, the, the James Webb, and, and the James Webb, the, 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 the part of it is, um, is, uh, um, coated in gold. So shiny gold to keep, you know, all of the instruments from being irradiated and, and uh, insulated and stuff like that. So those are my headlines. Um, thank you very much, Nitesh, for the conversation. This has been fantastic talking about gold and commodity markets. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thank you so much, uh, Niels and Phil. <laughs> thank you very much for listening to the podcast. If you enjoy what you hear, tell a friend. Uh, we're, we're displayed everywhere podcasts can be heard. If you want to contact me, my Twitter handle is Niels underscore C. Phil, how can people get a hold of you? 
Yeah, you can go to bluelinefutures.com. We actually have a great um, two-week trial on our Morning Express research note that covers the gold market and the other macro markets. And that's a great place to start. I'm also on Twitter at Peastrebel. Uh, you can follow me there. I do a lot of tweets on uh, football games in the U.S. here coming into the Super Bowl. So after that, it'll be back to business. I'll be focusing on macro markets again. Who the the who Cincinnati got in, eh? Cincinnati. That's 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 the team. That's when everybody. That's like America's team right now. I'm I'm surprised your headline wasn't that uh, Tom Brady might be retiring or might not be retiring. It was, that was uh, weird over the weekends. <laughs> we have to wait a couple more days so he gets his full twenty million so he can finish the season. Natesh, um. People have uh, questions about uh, uh, Wisdom Tree's uh, products. How can they get a hold of you? Well, uh, the best place for our products is our website. So that's www.wisdomtree.com. Uh, but if you want to uh, follow me uh, on Twitter, um, I'm also there on Twitter, also on LinkedIn. Uh, and we write it quite extensively. You know, that, that's uh, largely available on our, on our website. So once again, at uh, wisdomtree.com. I actually, I really enjoy your uh, your research reports. I guess you're going to be having one out pretty soon for covering uh, February. Yes, that's right. So we usually wait until the middle of the month for the data to to come in. Um, uh, so we'll, we'll we'll get one out just shortly after the middle of February. Perfect. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It was a fantastic conversation this week.